John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 113 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Tons to get to, as is usually the case on the podcast. But first, a a bit of a scheduling announcement. July is going to be in a bit of flux or limbo uh, for the Individual One Podcast for a couple of different reasons. One is that due to the uh, shutdown, the lockdown, and what's going on in California, uh, my family's vacation plans are very much up in the air. Uh, We go to Yosemite uh, Valley uh, to stay for a week every year, and because of the way they're doing things with the lockdown, we don't know exactly when we're going to be able to go. So so that is going to make things a little bit more difficult from a scheduling standpoint. We're also... Uh, a little bit confused about where things stand with the Global Story Network. So uh, for that reason, I anticipate us doing three episodes in July. I just don't know when they're going to be. And we may be uh, off for the next couple of weeks after this week, although I don't know that. So you'll just have to stay tuned uh, to our uh, web page, to our uh, Twitter page, and uh, also, obviously, uh, if you subscribe to the uh, podcast, and if you don't subscribe, why don't you? Please do. Uh, you'll get notifications on when the episode is, next episode is, although I don't honestly know when that is going to be. So with that said, let's go uh, to the news. I guess the biggest news story since the last time we spoke is one that there's, there's a lot of uh, confusion and doubt about. It's one of those uh, classic Trump stories where if it's 100% true, it's totally disqualifying. Uh, for a president of the United States, it's probably impeachment fodder. 
And in any other administration, it would be a massive scandal, uh, the likes of which uh, would be would dwarf anything else that's happened during that particular administration. However, with Trump, uh, you know, it, it can actually be forgotten fairly quickly. Correct. Because that's the bizarre world we're living in. I'm referring to the story that the Russians have offered the Taliban a bounty on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan and that it is possible that uh, some U.S. soldiers were actually killed as a part of this bounty. Uh, now, uh, this is the same Russians and the same Taliban that uh, Donald Trump has been kissing up to. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but uh, Trump claims that he and Mike Pence were not even briefed on this uh, plan uh, by the Russians that apparently has been in place for quite some time. It may have even been in place before Donald Trump was president. Now, the problem here, there are a couple problems. One is the history that we've had with regard to the news media reporting stories like this and them not turning out to be 100 percent accurate or perhaps be at least misleading, obviously, uh, what it turned out with regard to Russia was not as what had been anticipated, certainly by the media hype. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, with regard to intervention in the 2016 election. Uh, is there going to be a smoking gun here? Now, Republicans have actually been pretty decent in coming forward and saying, hey, we need to get to the bottom of this uh, because this is outrageous. This is beyond the pale. And you know, we'll see what comes of it. Uh, there has not been any new developments that I've seen in the last uh, day or two, but there are continuing stories, not just from U.S. intelligence, but from around the world, and then specifically in the U.K., that seem to corroborate this uh, media story, which started in the New York Times. So I'm a little bit tentative about talking too much about it. I like to know what all the facts are. I don't like stories that rely on anonymous sourcing within in, in, intelligence agencies, not because I don't trust the intelligence agencies. I don't I don't trust the news media for how they're going to interpret what their sources are saying. And it is very easy for these types of things to get lost in the translation. It sounds terrible. I absolutely believe that it's more impossible for Trump to get this information and go, you know what, uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it uh, because I'm friends with Putin and I'm trying to get the Taliban to remember to come to Camp David on the weekend of September 11th. That, I mean, how that story uh, somehow got lost. It didn't actually happen, but Trump did want to do that, bring the Taliban to Camp David on the weekend of September 11th last year. You cannot be serious! But, uh, so it's all very much within Trump's capabilities uh, of, uh, of not responding properly to this, but I'm a little bit worried that it fits almost too much into the anti-Trump narrative. And so without a, some hard evidence, a smoking gun, I would like to reserve judgment on something so incredibly serious. Because if that did in fact happen, and, and Trump is lying about uh, his level of knowledge of it, then in a rational world, forget about re-election, he ought to be impeached. Uh, but uh, we obviously know how that went the first time with regard to impeachment, and it's looking more and more, and we'll get into deep detail on this later on in the podcast, that he's only going to be president for another half a year. Uh, at least that's the way it's looking, based upon the, the current polling and including polling that just came out today. Now, part of the reason why Trump is in big trouble for re-election, in fact, you might argue it's the primary reason, is because of the perception of the coronavirus 
uh, response by this administration and the fact that there is a growing perception that we are in the midst of the beginning of a second wave that is already curtailing the reopenings in several key states and that may end up uh, causing us to have you know, what some have referred to as the darkest winter in the history of the United States of America. People are exceedingly and understandably uh, very anxious about where we are headed here. And the data is is fueling this because we have been trained and I have tried for at least six weeks, if not longer than that, on this podcast uh, to uh, to tell people that this should no longer be the case. But we have been trained by the news media to look at new cases of coronavirus as one being the most important data point that there can be, and two, to perceive increases in coronavirus cases as inherently not just bad, but potentially catastrophic. And and in the last couple of weeks, we have seen a dramatic turn with regard to new cases. Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, we were. it was on the downturn at around 25,000 cases per day in the United States, and now we're up into the 40s. And this has gotten an incredible amount of news coverage. I understand it. However, that news coverage is not providing any, any rational context for these numbers. And I told you a month and a half ago, I made probably my best, although I've made some poor ones, probably my best coronavirus prediction of all, and I've made a couple of decent ones, my best one was that I told you that there was going to be an increasing disparity between new cases and deaths in the United States, and that there would be a lot of reasons for this. And I thought I even told you that cases are going to increase. I didn't. I don't think they. I, I didn't. I don't think I believed they were going to increase quite as much as they have in recent days. But I told you new cases were going to increase, but deaths were going to continue to go down, and that has happened in spades. The news media isn't focusing on this at all. Uh, for obvious reasons, because they they love the doomsday narrative. But the reality is this. For 27 of the last 28 days as of yesterday, the United States seven-day average for daily deaths of or with, and that's an important distinction, of or with the COVID virus has gone down. 27 out of 28 days. Now, depending on whose number you believe, it is now just over 500. It's definitely below 600 deaths a day. Now, that sounds like a really horrible number. If you're thinking about this as a war or if you're thinking about this as like 9-11, oh, my gosh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good portion of 9-11 every single day. Now, in my view, uh, that is just a it's just flat out ridiculous way of looking at it. I've explained this before. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is flat out just age. People who die in, in war die at the age of 23 and they die healthy. They won't tell us what the average or median age of a coronavirus death in the United States is, but I am convinced that the median median and, and average would be slightly different here because just by the nature of, of people not ever living mostly past 100, uh, the, the average is always going to be skewed lower 
because you get one person who dies at 30 and the, and the number drops significantly. You don't have anyone dying at 150 to, to skew it in the other direction. So if you look at the median, the median age of a death has to be over 80 in the United States of America. The, the, we, already, we already know that in several states, and only a few that tell us, that the average, the average, for instance, Massachusetts, they, they're one of the few states that makes this uh, transparently available. The average age of death in Massachusetts is 82. That means that the median has got to be higher than that because of the reasons I just gave you. So, so right off the bat, I'm sorry. This is not saying I'm hoping for grandma and grandpa to die. I'm simply evaluating what's actually going on here. And this is not getting anywhere near enough attention. The, the, the death rate is not getting nearly enough attention because it's much lower than we expected. And the average age is really not getting any attention. And it's purposeful. It has to be purposeful. I watch the data as much as anybody should or could. It, it drives me crazy. Uh, I hate doing it, but I do it because I, I don't trust anybody else, certainly in the media, to do it properly. And you cannot figure out even the most basic statistic of, okay, how old are people when they are dying? Because if you're going to make a societal cost-benefit analysis, that's an incredibly important piece of information, one that they're keeping from us. But the reality here is that that number of whatever it is, somewhere in the 500s per day right now, when you put that in the perspective of every single day in America— 1,400, at least 1,400 Americans die in nursing homes. 1,400 every single day. Sometimes of the year, it's more than 1,400. That's an, that's an absolute fact, that number. Now, obviously, on a daily basis, it shifts. And I, I wish somebody, if there's somebody out there that could, could explain to me why the weekend death numbers always go down, and then on Tuesday, they always rise, that's obviously a data reporting issue. And I, I, I real, my gut is telling me that there's something connected to how nursing homes report deaths as opposed to hospitals or other places where people die. I, it's just a gut feeling on my part that, that it's so consistent that there has to be a reason. And I, so my point on nursing homes is one for the perspective of what it means for somewhere in the range of 550 to less than 600 people to die with or of the coronavirus on a daily basis. But there's also a more direct connection to that 1,400 number. If you consider the idea that, let's say, a quarter or a third of people dying in nursing homes in America have or have had coronavirus, right? If only a third, if only a third of that number has coronavirus, we're almost at zero deaths. Think about that. Now, that's speculation on my part, but it is rational speculation. And so it is my opinion that we've almost hit close to rock bottom on the way that we're counting deaths for, for that number to go. It can't go much lower because guess what? Everybody dies. And if a certain percentage of the population has the coronavirus, when they die, when you're in a country of 327 million people, there's not much you can do. You can't go much lower than this. And so no one in the media wants to talk about this. And 
because it doesn't fit the narrative and because it requires some speculation because the data is so bad, we're not able to definitively prove this. I mean, there's so much confusion going on right now with regard to the data. Hospitalizations is another classic example, and I have been exceedingly concerned about the hospitalization data. It is very difficult to interpret. It is inconsistent. I mean, even within certain states, if you look at uh, total hospitalization since the beginning and how much they increase on a daily basis, and you look at how many people are currently hospitalized of or with coronavirus, even sometimes within a certain state, they don't even make any damn sense to me because they're inconsistent. And it's, there's also an inconsistency as to why some states are seeing significant increases in COVID hospitalizations like Texas. I got to say, I mean, as someone who tries to look on the bright side here, when I look at the Texas hospitalization data, it is horrific. Now, the, 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 the government officials in Texas are telling us that this is a big misconception. And the lieutenant governor of Texas is on Fox News Channel saying Dr. Fauci doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. And that uh, things are under control in Texas. I don't know whether or not to trust that guy or not. He seems like a right wing wackadoodle. Uh, but, you know, I also don't trust Dr. Fauci for reasons that I've uh, articulated previously. And so so I don't understand what's going on in Texas. I really don't. There are people who are claiming that this is a misperception that's being created by the data. Um, maybe it's a little bit of both, but when I look at the data in Texas, it looks awful. Uh, similarly, uh, Arizona, you know, not quite as bad in some ways on hospitalizations, but really bad. Even here in California, we're seeing increased hospitalizations. We're nowhere near statewide a situation that would be catastrophic for hospitals. Because remember, hospitalizations, the, the major concern is, are you going to get hospitals to be overrun? I mean, that's the greatest scare everybody has is, you know, are we not going to be able to put somebody in a hospital bed or are they not going to be able to get proper treatment? Are doctors going to have to make decisions on who lives and who dies? That kind of thing. We're we're nowhere near that, certainly not statewide. And I don't know of any hospital that is in that situation. But that's that's the fear that the media really tries to trump up. And part of the problem, again, goes back to how bad this data is. I've been saying this from the very beginning. It is so frustrating because of the nature of the data. It's incredibly easy to cherry pick from both sides of this political equation. And and it doesn't always make sense. And you don't even know what you're dealing with oftentimes. For instance, with regard to hospitalizations, the reality is if you go into a hospital for any reason now, any reason you get tested for coronavirus. And if you test positive, if, if we're now in a situation where a significant portion of the population has this thing, may not even know it, then how many people are being counted in hospitalizations that aren't even there for the coronavirus? We don't know. I don't know. Is that a, is that a minor number? Is that like 1%? Is that 15%? We have no idea because the data is so bad and no one is incentivized to get to the bottom of that. So there, there are all sorts of potential explanations, but what, what really confuses me is if this is all about reopening, if this is all about reopening, causing an increase in you know hospitalizations and massive numbers of cases as opposed to massive amounts of new testing, then why are some states that have been very open doing quite well? I mean, why is, for instance, Wisconsin, that's been pretty aggressive with regard to being open, having no significant issues? Iowa never shut down. No significant issues. 
so it's it's and there's other places around the country as well. So I, I am very confused. I, I am not uh, burying my head in the sand. I am not in what despite what some people might want to believe. I am not invested in any sort of narrative. I will be the first person, the first person to say, you know what? Uh, we're in big trouble. Uh, I was totally wrong. The lockdown worked. Now that the lockdown's not here, uh, we're, we're in, a, in a catastrophic situation, batting down the hatches. Oh, my gosh, we got a lockdown again. I would be the first person to tell you that if I was convinced by the data. I am nowhere near there yet, but I am confused by what's going on in several states. And it is clearly hurting Donald Trump. Perception is reality. And now that certain states are starting to to reverse course, including some red states, on the lockdown, I think it's creating a, a very, very depressing atmosphere. Because I think people felt like, oh, my gosh, we paid the price. We, we locked down for two, two and a half months. And now here we are, and we're going to have to go through it again. Yet, when you look at the death numbers, as I've already alluded to, they don't warrant that at all. And, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of heat for continuing to reference Sweden. And, you know, I'm a libertarian. Sweden decided, you know what, we're not going to do this by government mandate. We're going to do this on our own. They got criticized heavily. They even, you know, sort of admitted that they didn't do it all right, although I believe that those comments were misconstrued on purpose by the media. I mean, of course, everybody's going to say we didn't do it exactly right. But when you're Sweden and the media wants you to fail, they're going to take everything they possibly can out of context to say, see, see, we, sh- we showed you. They admitted they were wrong. Well, you haven't heard much about Sweden lately, have you? You know why? The current seven-day average. Now, I, I even hesitate to do this. I did tweet about it, and I should have given it a disclaimer because Sweden is so laid back about everything that, they're, that even the way they report the data is a little suspect. But it is a current fact that their seven-day average, daily average for deaths in Sweden, a small country from a population standpoint, just over 10 million, but their seven-day daily average for deaths is currently, statistically, according to, to the Worldometer's website, is five deaths a day. Five deaths a day in a country of 10 million-plus people. Now, does that mean uh, that they're totally done with this? No. What's interesting about this from the United States standpoint is, I and I have said this previously, when you look at our trend lines, when you look at our charts to Sweden's charts, they're almost identical. They're almost identical. Now, it, it makes it more difficult because of the way Sweden reports. Uh, and they, they frankly just take some days off. Uh, they took three days off recently for, uh, you know, for a holiday. But the, the reality is, that when you look at their new cases, much like the United States and much because of new testing, their new cases started to increase dramatically on June 2nd. Now, here we are on July 1st. That's plenty of time for new cases to translate into deaths. Plenty of time, except for the fact that it has not. In fact, the opposite has happened, much like the United States. So they are also experiencing the same disparity between Massive amounts of new cases in relation to what they've had and almost no deaths. And the reason for that is different types of people are now getting the virus. More people are getting tested. That's not all of it. I'm not in the category of this is all new testing. This is not all new testing. But a lot of it is. And and the part of this that really blows my mind is why are people not seeing this as mostly good news? 
Why is this mostly not good news? Don't we, and if we're going to get out of this, don't we want and need people, especially young people, to get the virus so that they can become immune? So that we have some semblance of immunity going forward and it's more difficult for the virus to spread? And by the way, when you're getting tested and you find out you have it, presumably, I don't think this is a stretch. I mean, people are dumb, but they're not this dumb. Presumably, if you find out you get it, you stay away from grandma and grandpa, right? I mean, that, that's what's going to happen here. These pre- people previously didn't know they had it. And they might have been hanging out with grandma and grandpa. And, and who knows how many people ended up uh, getting sick and maybe even dying because of that. So the, the death number, which is really the ultimate number here, in my view, is right now an exceedingly optimistic one. Yet the, the general atmosphere is, oh, my gosh, it's panic. Uh, we got to go back into our hole. We got to go back into lockdown. I mean, here in California, we're seeing this dramatically and, and depressingly. Uh, This July 4th weekend, the weekend where we celebrate the birth of our country and Independence Day here in Southern California, even in the county where I live, Ventura County, which is still, although they're trying to tell us that our numbers are dramatically increasing, has still been largely untouched by this. 850,000 people, and I believe at last check, 44 or 45 deaths. They change it from time to time because their their stats aren't particularly good. But uh, almost all of these people have been older. Almost all have had uh, some sort of other uh, major uh, medical ailment. Uh, I mean, 45 uh, deaths out of 850,000 people in, over a three-month-plus period of time. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that stinks. It's terrible. It's sad. Uh, but that is not a, an emergency. That is not a crisis. And here, we are not even going to be allowed to go to the beach. We are not even going to be allowed to go to the beach on July 4th weekend, even though there is not one shred of evidence nor any logic whatsoever that the beach has any, any connection to any sort of coronavirus outbreak. The beach, where you are outside, it's inherently uh, easy to social distance, it's inherently uh, sunny, because otherwise you wouldn't be there, and especially here in Ventura County, it's almost always breezy. You couldn't possibly find a better place to avoid the coronavirus than the beach. Yet our county is not only going to close the the county beaches, but uh, invariably they're going to spend lots and lots of money enforcing this ban to prevent citizens from being able to walk on the beach on Independence Day. You cannot be serious! That's where we are. And, and, And the scariest part is, and this is always been one of my great concerns from the beginning of this is that we have now fundamentally changed the equation. The burden used to be, and it used to be a huge burden, the burden used to be on the government to take away our basic rights. That used to be the burden. We have already adjusted now so much, so dramatically, and the media plays a huge role in allowing this to happen with the propaganda they're spewing on this. Uh, but our, our population is, is now so easily duped, co-opted, compromised, cowed, what have you, that we have already, just a few months into this thing, now shifted the burden. The burden is now on us to prove we should still be able to do basic things like go to the beach on the 4th of July. That's where the burden is. They don't even have a burden anymore, the government. 
They don't have to even show one case, one hospitalization. Forget about a death. They don't have to do anything. They can just arbitrarily say, you know what? We're closing the beaches. Now, I get they're trying to create uh, to uh, avoid a situation where they have massive amounts of crowds and, you know, and, and people coming up from, for instance, Los Angeles, where they were also closing the beaches and it creates a domino effect of fear. There are ways to deal with that. Like, for instance, closing parking. You close the parking, you, you close that particular situation. But our beaches here, at least the ones I go to, are enormous. They're enormous beaches. I mean, so here you have a situation where this could be the safest way for people to congregate that you could even conceive of. I mean, you cannot conceive of a safer situation for people to semi-congregate than you could on these massive beaches of Ventura County. And not only will not that not be allowed, but there's going to be at least some enforcement using precious resources that could be used a hell of a lot more efficiently to make sure that uh, citizens do not put their feet on the beach. Simultaneously, simultaneously here in this county, there is planned a very large Black Lives Matter protest just off the beach. It's just flat out ridiculous. That's, 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 I'm actually thinking about going. Although as a white guy, I probably won't be particularly, conservative white guy especially, I, I won't be all that uh, uh, welcome. Uh, but I'm actually thinking. I'm thinking about I, I should go to the Black Lives Matter uh, protest on July 4th. One, just to show the massive hypocrisy, because I guarantee the, the law enforcement will do nothing uh, to enforce even social distancing. And there'll be no problem with this uh, protest uh, going on. But what I would really love to do, and I would even be willing to pay people to do this. But again, as a white guy, I'm sure this would not go over well. Uh, but I, I would be thrilled to get a family uh, of people from the Black Lives Matter protest and, and bring them down to the beach and, and, have the, and, and videotape them, go on the beach and see what law enforcement would do. Because uh, in this environment, there is zero chance of mostly uh, white male uh, sheriff's deputies here in Ventura County giving any sort of grief to a, uh, a Black Lives Matter protest family deciding to go on the beach on... July 4th weekend. Just not going to happen. And if it did, my gosh, boy, that would be that would be viral as hell. Uh, So, uh, you know, I may or may not do that. Depends on what uh, my wife has in store. It is our 10th anniversary this weekend. So it's possible she has other plans for us. Although I don't know what the heck we're going to do because there's not a whole heck of a lot that's going to be open uh, on this Independence Day uh, weekend. So so the situation uh, here in California is particularly nutty. and, and, And while our numbers are increasingly bad. I, I've already given ex- some explanations for that, but also perception and expectations are driving everything. These numbers, even in California right now, are fantastic in comparison to what Governor Newsom told them, told us they would be three and a half months ago. I mean, three and a half months ago, he told us in eight weeks, we would have 25 million cases of coronavirus. You cannot be serious. And now here we are panicking over a tiny fraction of that with still no indication that our hospitals are going to be overrun. And it all comes back to this liberal fear of runaway exponential growth, which never ends up happening. You get it for a few days, maybe a week, and then invariably it stops. 
it stabilizes, and usually it goes in the other direction. But because of this incredible fear of exponential growth that's run away, the media goes bananas and the politicians panic and the population uh, decides just to go along with it because, after all, you know, we have to do what we have to do. We're all in this together. And the media is, is creating all this propaganda. My God, I mean, even every, every commercial on radio and television is is further pounding in the idea that this is all legitimate this is what we have to do and there's just been no real pushback at all and it's been uh, remarkably depressing and i think that it is symbolic of what's happening with donald trump's campaign uh, because donald trump's campaign is in huge huge trouble right now correct and there's part of me that's very happy about that i have uh, the reason why we have this podcast is because i did not want donald trump to be reelected, and i wanted him impeached and theoretically removed if at all possible so i am i'm at least somewhat conflicted by this because i'm happy that it looks like donald trump is not going to be the next president of the united states or not going to have a second term which i always thought would be very very dangerous for america but I'm actually depressed by the reasons for why I now am almost 100% convinced, not yet 100% convinced, that uh, he needs a miracle. He needs a miracle to win re-election. And, and the, the reason why it's depressing to me is what it says about our population. Because it, to me, shows, and I, I, the way I interpret these numbers is that America has now been largely co-opted. And I was wrong about several things that I thought could be helpful to Trump regarding this lockdown that are not going to help him at all. And in fact, right now, are probably hurting him. Let me go through some of these things. You may recall, I, I thought that there was a decent chance that if Trump played his cards right, that the lockdown especially some of these stronger lockdowns in key states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, along with the mask issue, could actually help Donald Trump. Because I thought, you know what, people might be okay with masks right now, but are a majority of Americans really going to want to live in a, in a country that we are forced to wear masks going forward indefinitely? People aren't going to get tired of this, right? They're going to start realizing this is bogus, right? Right? That's what I thought was going to be the way America would respond to this. Because I've, I've always thought that there was a majority of Americans who inherently in their DNA did not trust government intervention. We're based on our country is based on liberty and freedom. Uh, that's why we fought the, the revolution that we're going to be celebrating uh, this uh, sort of celebrating this weekend with July 4th, our independence from Great Britain, I, I mean, that we have been taught this, uh, you know, in grade school forever and ever. I, I really thought that there would be pushback on that. I have changed my mind. I no longer think there's any pushback. I mean, there, there, trust me, there are a lot of people who hate the hell out of this, but they're, they're not a majority. They're not a majority. That's the problem. I don't know what the percentage really is, but I no longer believe that there will be a majority of people who, uh, who fear a, uh, a mask-wearing future so much that they decide, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go with Donald Trump over Joe Biden. 
Uh, Joe Biden has made it very clear that he's in favor of not just masks, but he's in favor of a federal mandate, an executive order. Nancy Pelosi has said the same thing uh, about uh, the federal government somehow mandating masks for the entire country. It's just flat out ridiculous. I, I mean, I don't even know how you enforce that, but that's what they're saying. And I would, if you would, uh, if, they, if you had told me they were going to do that uh, two, three months ago, I would have said, "Wow, that is a recipe for Trump's reelection." Uh, but uh, the American people are cowed on this. And just to be clear, and I'm going to get into it later because I, I, I've gotten a lot of national and international attention on this mask issue for a speech I gave to our local border supervisors. I'm actually not against the idea inherently of wearing masks. I'm against the government mandating it. And I'm against uh, the so-called experts telling us for three months that it was, it was not needed and then all of a sudden switching because it's politically correct and a signal of virtue in order to do it. That's what I'm against. I'm also against the precedent for when the heck does that ever end? I don't see when that will ever end, once you, especially once the, the population goes along with it. And if you, you know, if, you, if you can restrict our breathing by government mandate, what the hell can't you do? So that is a libertarian. That's the part that scares the living daylights out of me. But I no longer see America, the majority, and I want to emphasize this, the majority of America fighting back against this in a way that would get Trump into a reelection range. I mean, he would need like 60 percent of the American people to revolt on that issue for it to really impact his poll numbers against uh, Joe Biden. Similarly, what's going on with race in this country and political correctness and, I mean, it's just complete overreach of the insanity that we've seen on the far left, you know, not just tearing down statues and changing flags, even in Mississippi, uh, you know, but just just the, you know, the cancel culture. I mean, just they've gone completely out of their minds. I mean, it's just it's just crazy what has happened in an incredibly short period of time. Boy. That escalated quickly. Where we're, we're basically the lockdown has created an opportunity for the left to redo America. And, it, uh, and to me, it's, it's, it's remarkable how effective they've been in an incredibly short period of time. Well, this should have played right into Donald Trump's hands. I mean, I've always believed that, that his, the fuel for his rocket ship is political correctness and that, that Democrats were, and liberals were always reacting to him incorrectly. You don't go after him on being a bully and and being politically incorrect because, frankly, people, I used to think, liked a pseudo-strong leader who doesn't buy into the whole political correctness thing. Polls have always indicated Americans hate political correctness. But in the last couple of months, that's seemingly all changed. It's it's like we've all lost our balls. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. All of a sudden, America has become so wussified and so feminized that none of these these previous premises still have any validity. And part of it's because Trump is so personally toxic. But I, I don't see the, the race PC thing helping him. In fact, I think it's hurting him because it's very similar to the whole lockdown mask thing. Another example of something that I thought might save Trump is the issue of whether or not professional sports and college sports will be played in this country. I even wrote a column for media theorizing that if, if Democratic state governors like here in California and Michigan and Pennsylvania, if they prevent football from happening this fall, that there would be a steep price for Democrats to pay. Because that's one thing that Americans really care about 
And, you know, we might be able to deal with no baseball and no basketball and other minor sports, but you got to give us football. We're not going to be able to get through the winter without football. Well, I now perceive, first of all, that the population is so cowed on all of this, so wussified, uh, that it may, they may not matter that much. They might even adapt to the idea of no football far more uh, uh, gracefully than I uh, had previously anticipated. Uh, or more benignly is probably the better way to put it. But I also don't see the way this is going down as helping Trump because I don't think the Democratic governors are going to be forced to take the blame. And Trump has done a lousy job, although he's tried a little bit, to try to frame it in this way. I actually think professional sports are so wussified that they're going to curtail themselves. They're not going to even force the Democratic governors to curtail them whether it's regarding spectators or what the rules are or whether they play at all. And I, frankly, based upon the current standards, I do not see how football is going to happen. I just don't – I do not understand. I think football should happen. I think especially in outdoor stadiums, there should be no problem with with, uh, games having spectators. But I I do not see that happening because I'm looking at the way other sports are working. I mean, my God, golf. Golf can't even make this work. Golf is having people withdraw, major players withdraw from tournaments, not because they have the coronavirus, but because people they know have the coronavirus. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. You cannot be serious. I mean, we're in a situation with regard to sports that, uh, you know, we could be going into the U.S. Open and, you know, uh, you know, Brooks Kepka, who just withdrew because of his caddy getting uh, the coronavirus, uh, you know, Brooks Kepka uh, could uh, be leading the final round of the U.S. Open and decide to withdraw because his girlfriend's friend got coronavirus or something. I mean, that's that it, that's not a standard that can work. And if you can't make it work in golf because you're so PC and wussified, I, I just don't see how you're going to make it work in football, especially when and no one's talking about this. This race narrative, you know, because now America is a horrendously racist country. How the hell are white owners, almost all white owners, going to force black men into playing a game that is perceived now as risking their lives? I mean, I mean, my God, from a narrative standpoint, that's just terrible. And so, I mean, you, you, so we've created this standard. If one team gets two cases, they're going to they're gonna stop playing. And the media will be on their side. Even the sports media is freaking stupid as they are because they're destroying their own industry and risking their own lives. So I no longer see the sports issue saving Donald Trump. I only see one more issue that could theoretically save Donald Trump. And I don't know why he's not jumping on this. Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky, tried to jump on this yesterday in a Senate hearing uh, where he was questioning Dr. Anthony Fauci. And this is the issue of schools. Rand Paul, and this is so emblematic of all the price that we all have to now pay, especially on the conservative side, for the Trump presidency. Rand Paul is somebody who, in theory should be incredibly credible on this issue. He is a libertarian. Uh, he's not as wacky as his dad, uh, but you know he is also a doctor, and he has had the coronavirus. So he's survived the coronavirus. He's a doctor, 
He's always been seen as outside the mainstream of, of the GOP. So without Donald Trump as president and without Rand Paul's sycophantic, sycophantic sellout to Donald Trump, which has been disgusting over the last several years, especially since, if you remember, during the 2016 primaries, Donald Trump ridiculed Rand Paul for all sorts of things, including how he looks. And Rand Paul has still sucked up to Donald Trump disgustingly and destroyed his credibility. If you had eliminated the Donald Trump factor, Rand Paul taking on Dr. Fauci yesterday and for a second time saying, look, schools ought to reopen. The science indicates schools should be reopening. Uh, all around the world, they've tried this. There's been no problems. Why are we not being emphatically in favor of schools reopening? And, of course, you know, Fauci's playing both sides of it because he doesn't want to ruin his uh, liberal street cred and upset his uh, fan base by doing something that could potentially uh, lead to a full reopening or maybe even helping Donald Trump. But that's the issue to me. That's the issue. That's the one issue I can still see where Trump could create a wedge that would be very difficult for Joe Biden. If, if, if you're Donald Trump and you're getting crushed in the polls and uh, you don't have many paths to victory, to me, you go all in on all schools being open and you're gonna, you are going to use federal money to enforce this. You have no direct say because states schools are a state and local issue but there's a ton of federal money that these schools rely on and if you come out as the president of the united states you make an address to the nation say it is time for america to reopen your schools and if you do not i will be withholding by executive order all federal funding for your states now that would be a ballsy move but that would put Joe Biden in a very difficult position politically because he would have to be against it. And if you nail Joe Biden down on being against opening schools, that who knows how that would work out? My guess is, you know, it, 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 I've been wrong previously, but I still believe being the parent uh, of two young daughters and based upon my reading of moms, especially, and moms are a, obviously a key voting demographic, especially in the suburbs of Pennsylvania and in Michigan, in North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, all these six key states, that your one shot if you're Trump to get those women back is saying, you know what, it's time for kids to go back to school. And if he did that and he won that fight and nothing bad happened, which my guess is what would be the result, and you've now got into November where Biden is the one who's against schools being opened. And by the way, my guess is a lot of schools wouldn't go along with Trump. And so now you've got parents in states where they didn't go along with Trump where the Democrats now have to take full responsibility for schools not being open. That would be a recipe for Trump getting back into this race, in my opinion. Now, it may not work because it's possible that we're so cowed 
that much like all these other issues I talked about, like the masks and the race issue and the sports issue, that there's just nothing we care about. I'm sorry, if we don't care enough about whether kids are going back to school, because that's going to directly impact somebody's life, way bigger than masks or NFL football will. Whether or not your kid is going to school two days a week, zero days a week, five days a week. And schools in Massachusetts, by the way, have already declared that they're going back, which is an awfully liberal state, although technically has a Republican governor. And they're doing it based on the science. So this to me, and I'm, I'm not trying to give Donald Trump advice here. I'm just telling you what the truth is. That's what this podcast is about. To me, that's the last path Trump has. If you want to get mom's to flip back to you, uh, at least those that might be somewhat open-minded, then forcing Joe Biden to be against schools reopening and you being the champion for schools reopening is really about the only way you can do it. I don't see any other path. And why Trump hasn't followed the Rand Paul lead yet, I'm mystified. And based upon my reading of Rand Paul, and I know obviously he has a a pipeline right to the presidency, my guess is that Rand Paul would be giving him exactly the same advice, especially considering how bad the polling is, because it is obvious that Trump has lost his political superpower, just as I predicted three weeks ago. Uh, When I wrote in Mediate uh, that uh, the left has gone and lost their minds, but Trump has lost his political superpower. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. The magic is gone. The, The magic for Donald Trump is completely gone. Uh, and that magic has always been white angst, white fear, uh, and white people wanting to hold on to the last vestiges of, of rational power in their view and fight against what they see as the future of socialistic uh, tyranny run by a Democratic Party that is completely and totally controlled uh, by minority interests and now is basically an anti-white party for all intents and purposes. Uh, but that's not working. That works with a small percentage of the population. But as I've said many, many times in this podcast, Trump needs to have his base be large enough to where he can get into the game, where he's allowed to be on the ride. Is he tall enough to ride the amusement park ride? And currently he is not. Polling out in the last couple of days, especially today, has been absolutely horrific for Donald Trump. Horrific. Let me just give you a quick overview. The current popular vote average of all the polls is about 50-40 Biden. 50-40 Biden. In a country that is this divided, where we're only a few months away from an election, where the candidates are this well-known, that is an enormous advantage for Joe Biden. For him to be at 50 especially, because you get to 50, you can't lose, uh, in all, for all intents and purposes, because uh, there are other candidates. You never get 100% of the vote. And, you know, while there is uh, an electoral college advantage for Donald Trump based upon what happened in 2016, it's nowhere near enough to overcome somebody getting 50% of the national popular vote. Now, for those who say, well, John, the, can- the polls were wrong in 2016. You know what? The national polls were not. The national polls were actually as, almost dead on. They said Hillary Clinton would win by 3%. She won by over 2%. I mean, that's well within the margin of error. So one of these things I hear a lot is, well, don't believe the polls. And 2016 proved the polls are all wrong. No, no, no. Polls are flawed, but they are not fraudulent. 
They are not something that should be completely discarded. I've used to work in the polling industry, and I, I hate everybody. But I'm telling you, polls are not to be completely discarded. You can pretend that there is a bias against Trump. That's fine. But you can't pretend that there is enough of a bias. You would need a you would need at least a five to six point bias against Trump for those polls to be consistent with him end up ending up winning the the general election because he has to be within three or four points in the popular vote. I mean, you get a five point popular vote victory, even in a country this divided. I'm sorry you cannot uh, lose the Electoral College, especially to Donald Trump. So 50-40 is devastating, and it is a huge increase for Biden over what it was just a month or two ago. CNBC is out with polling from six key states. I've talked about these uh, you know, many, many times in the past. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, those are the first three key states that Democrats have to win because if they had won them in 2016, Donald Trump would never have been president. Then you add into that North Carolina, Florida, and Arizona. They keyed, they, they, they polled all six of those key states, and they all came back the same, with Joe Biden winning by approximately the same margin. Almost all of them are approximately Biden at 50% and Trump at 44%. That is devastating for Donald Trump. Devastating from the standpoint that Biden is in the 50% range and that Trump can't get over 44 or 45%. That's not enough in the key states. He has to be in the 48% range to have a legitimate shot. And, and he has to win. He has to win most of those six states especially Florida. I mean, Florida really is everything right now. And and right now, Biden is wiping the floor with Trump in Florida. If Trump doesn't win Florida, it's basically impossible for him to win the election because that changes all the math because they have the most electoral college votes of those six states. Now, if he wins Florida, then there's a scenario where he can still lose uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan and win Wisconsin. And if he wins uh, North Carolina and Arizona, then he's still going to win. But winning, he, he has to win the majority of those six, regardless of how you cut it. And right now he's losing all six by margins that are outside the margin of error. And that is a very difficult hill to climb if this CNBC poll is remotely accurate. And there's reasons to believe that it is. Because even when you look at Trump's approval ratings, they continue to go down. His average approval rating now is approximately 41%. Again, that's below the line where it needs to be to get on the amusement park ride. It needs to be at 44%, at least, probably 45%, especially considering how strong his disapproval is. It's only at 41%, and most shockingly, his disapproval rating is now at least 56%. If, if you have lost 55, 56% of the American public, it is almost impossible at this point to turn that around, barring some sort of earthquake, some sort of miracle. And look, strange things are happening in this world. So I, I'm not discounting some massive event, but it has to be huge, huge. Even, by the way, even the school gambit, if it worked perfectly, may not be enough 
for Trump to win. I'm just telling you what I think his best shot would be to turn this around. And that to me would be to go all in on forcing schools to reopen around the country. Um, but we see no sign that he's going to do that yet. He's going to get desperate. There's a lot. Of, there's some people even claiming that he's going to withdraw. I am not buying this idea that Donald Trump is going to withdraw. I realize his ego is incredibly fragile. Um, there is still theoretically time for that to happen. But he needs an exit strategy. He needs an excuse for why he would do that. And I don't know what that would be. I mean, unless he got really physically ill, I guess he could do it whether that was real or imagined, regardless. But he needs a cover story. He, he needs a reason. He, he, you know, theoretically, before this whole coronavirus thing, he could have claimed, well, you know, I made America great again. The economy is the best we've ever had. Uh, I'm going to go play golf and uh, I, I'm out of here. That, you know, that could have theoretically worked. But nobody's buying the idea now that if he withdraws, that it's that it's not a complete catastrophe and admitting total and complete defeat. So I don't see that happening. Uh, boy, it would be wonderful if it did, because I actually think Democrats would be vulnerable if that happened. I mean, I, this scenario is almost absurd because uh, Trump would have to be willing to uh, somewhat back whatever ticket replaced him. But, you know, if you got a Mike Pence, Nikki Haley ticket, uh, I think that would be difficult for Biden to beat under the right circumstances because Biden is terrible. And, you know, yes, Biden, I do think is, you know, while I've I've supported him because I thought he had the best chance to beat uh, Donald Trump at the beginning of the primaries. And it turns out I was right about that. Uh, but, you know, he is a terrible candidate. One of the things I've been somewhat right, somewhat wrong about is that the pandemic I, you know, I, I did talk to you about how this is going to help and hurt Biden. It's clearly helping him right now because the, the Trump rally was a disaster. So now Trump is going to be afraid to hold his rallies. It prevents Biden from having to do any of his rallies, which would pale in, in comparison to Trump's. It keeps him in his basement. It keeps him from being accessible. He did one press conference uh, this week. Uh, but he doesn't have to do interviews or press conferences. He doesn't have to have uh, any uh, accessibility to the people. And, and so, therefore, there are fewer and fewer opportunities for him to show that he's not all with it. So this is actually helping Joe Biden right now in a very significant way. And I don't know, you know, I mentioned before, if they ever do debates, you know, what's, what's Joe Biden going to do if, if Donald Trump goes over and decides to shake his hand? Is he going to run away like a, and cower? I used to think that was going to be a disaster for, for Joe Biden. I now think it'll have no impact whatsoever, regardless of what happens there. Because enough, enough people will, will actually cheer Joe Biden for not wanting to shake Donald Trump's hand, regardless of whether it's because of the coronavirus or what have you. So all the rules have now been changed. And and I think Trump has very, very few cards to play other than uh, the issue of schools, which I do think is still potentially uh, very, very potent. But as this uh, July 4th weekend comes up, I do want to take just a moment to, to talk about this idea that we're just redoing America. The lockdown has created an opportunity for the left to just just wipe the slate clean and basically reinvent America. And uh, and I'm sure they're loving this. Uh, but to me, this is really scary. And uh, and, and not just because of the symbolism of it. I, that, that doesn't mean that much to me, although I do think symbolism matters. I'm talking more about the slippery slope here of where the hell this ever ends, because now there are no guardrails. 
there used to be, you know, since you know, use a metaphor on purpose, since I'm not allowed to go to the beach this weekend, there, there used to be a line in the sand beyond which the left was afraid to cross. That line is gone now. It's literally gone. <laughs> You're allowed to now ban people from the beach on the 4th of July for no reason. And there's no fear of any major backlash. And so where does that end? I have no idea where that ends. It is scary to me uh, what has happened to this country and where it is going. And so there's a part of me, while I'm glad that it looks like Trump is going to lose, the reasons why he is in such deep trouble actually scare me because there is no cavalry coming. It does not exist. We're headed towards socialism. We're headed, I believe, towards fascism. I I believe we're headed towards some sort of a civil war, regardless of how you define that in the in the coming years. I I see a very, very dark future uh, for America because of where we're heading. And it's largely Trump's fault because Trump has unleashed the demons you know, he, he is he has allowed uh, this Trojan horse to come into the fortress. And not only has he allowed the Trojan horse of extreme leftism to come in while pretending to be the great fighter against it, uh, he, he's uh, he let the Trojan horse come open. He's handed the, everyone in the horse weapons and he's just sitting back and watching as as the, the, the as Troy gets destroyed. I mean, that's essentially what's happening here. And yet here he is yesterday tweeting the words, the lone warrior. He referred to himself, I guess, as the lone warrior. That was his tweet. The lone warrior. You cannot be serious. And of course, his fans loved it. I love the poorly educated. As if he's the one guy fighting for them. There's no indication of that. None. I responded to the tweet by by, uh, having two pictures of Batman. One, a a very strong, majestic, uh, fierce-looking Batman, and that's who Trump thinks he is. And I juxtaposed that with a picture of a super fat guy holding a shopping bag at at a uh, Comic-Con convention in a Batman costume. That's who Donald Trump actually is. He's no warrior. He's actually allowing the other side to win. He's He's, he is facilitating their destruction of this country. And it's happening way faster, way faster than the left could ever imagine, all because of the opportunities that Donald Trump has provided them. And you know, this, this idea of uh, thirsting for somebody to fight back, somebody to be a warrior, somebody who has balls, uh, I have actually experienced myself in the last week. Because uh, eight days ago, I gave a speech to our local county board of supervisors attacking them over their handling of the lockdown. I had no expectations that anybody outside of that boardroom was ever going to see this. I knew that it was being videotaped, but I made no plans whatsoever for anyone to really know about this. At at most, I was hoping I would be able to get a clip of it uh, that my followers on Twitter could see it. Uh, That was about it. Well, this thing exploded largely because people around the world are thirsting for somebody to stand up and actually be a warrior and fight back. In case you haven't seen it or heard it, and it's gone viral around the whole world. I mean, I've been contacted all around the world and Europe and the UK and South Africa. I mean, all over the world, people have seen this two-minute speech that I gave to our local county board of supervisors, and here's what it sounded like after I had been told 
I'm waiting around for two and a half hours. I've been told where I was going to have three minutes. And then all of a sudden, seconds before I go on, I'm told I have two minutes. And so I just threw away my script. And here's what ensued. After waiting for two hours and now getting two minutes, I'll get right to the point. Uh, this board is pretending that for the last three months, your emperor, Dr. Levin, has not been against a mask declaration. Now, all of a sudden, we're pretending that masks are everything, even forcing speakers to use masks. I would like the board to take a position. Was Dr. Levin wrong for those three months? And if he was this wrong, why has he not been removed? Why has he not been fired for being so catastrophically wrong? Or do you not really believe he was wrong? You're just wearing these masks because it is a signal of your great virtue. Because for the last three months, we have not worn them. And Convertura County has done outstandingly well and continues to do outstandingly well because we are not Los Angeles. We are not New York City. We never were going to be any of those things. Ironically, this is one of the few things Dr. Levin was actually right about. He has been wrong about everything. He is the one who told us we would have four to 600 hospitalizations a day. He, he revised that to two to 400 a day. We still haven't reached that in one day. We're barely over 200 for the entire ordeal that you guys have put us through. We now have panicked over 51 total hospitalizations in a county with eight hospitals. Can you people do math? Can you please do basic math and understand where we are on this? This is not a crisis. You, however, have created one. You, in an effort to try to prevent all deaths, when we've had 43 deaths, have now ended all relevant life. And you should all be ashamed of yourselves. And this will never be forgotten, ever be forgotten. You will all be held accountable eventually, in this life or the next. You all better hope there is no hell, because when you die, that's where you're going. And guess what? You're not going to be dying of COVID either. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god oh wow boy that escalated quickly uh yeah um i i did not honestly plan for any of that uh and in the one of the funniest things about the video is that i have some paper in front of me and it's it, what's hilarious is that two um very well-known broadcasters <laughs> including matt lauer uh, former nbc today show fame uh, both noticed the same thing that I did, is that in the middle of the speech that I'm not reading, I'm not even looking at my notes, I emphatically turn the page of my notes as if I'm reading. <laughs> and I have no idea why I did that, because I was just in a completely different plane of thought, just winging it, uh, just ticked off and letting it rip. And boy, did it hit a nerve. I mean, this thing has been shared on various social media platforms thousands of times it's hard to know exactly how many people have viewed it but it has to be in the millions based upon the number of uh, twitter followers i picked up and by the way they're almost all trump fans so i'm sure that i will lose all these twitter followers almost as soon as we uh, post the the audio to the the individual one podcast uh but as i said all earlier it's been not just in the united states it's all over the world people are desperate for someone to fight back the problem is even I don't believe I represent the majority. I, I represent a silent portion of people, both in this country and around the world, but it's not a majority. At least it's not in a, in a, in a situation where it can be perceived as a majority because everyone's so afraid. 
Everyone is so terrified of being destroyed, of being canceled, of being criticized, of being mocked, of being shamed, and not being on the right side of history. And of course, a large part of the problem is the other side is always saying, well, things are bad now, but just wait for another two weeks. Then they're really going to be bad. And no one wants to go, well, you're wrong. Because then if you turn out to be wrong, you're on the side of death. And so there are all sorts of things working against uh, people who are philosophically on my side. But I, I, I was stunned by the reaction to that. I didn't even mention it on last week's podcast. We thought about maybe mentioning it, but I, I thought it was so not that big of a deal. But it has turned into a, a pretty significant deal. And in, I even did a TV appearance on Newsmax television uh, yesterday, which you can find at our Twitter feed, which is at individual number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Uh, if you want to see me interviewed about that speech to the Ventura County Board of Supervisors. I do think, though, that it is symbolic of the situation with Trump because, you know, uh, as I've said previously uh, with Trump, I was told there would be balls. I was told there would be balls. And if he had shown any balls over the last three, four months, he theoretically could have had my support. It would have taken a lot. And not that my support means anything, but it could have happened. It's not going to because he's shown he has no balls. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And people are desperate for someone with balls. At least, you know, a portion of the population is. I don't know what that percentage is. Unfortunately, I do not believe it's over 50 percent because we've become a wussified country, a country that was built on a whole bunch of principles that were the opposite of wussification has now become officially wussified on this, uh, what will be the worst July 4th weekend in the modern history of the country. A couple quick notes. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, just so you know, with regard to scheduling, I don't know when the next podcast will be. It might be next weekend, but my guess is it won't be for a couple weeks for reasons that are complicated, having to do with both uh, my vacation schedule as well as what the status of the Global Story Network is. But we will obviously continue to to try to do these podcasts as much as we can into the future and keep you updated uh, via our Twitter feed, which is at individual, the number one pod. As far as Trump's chances for reelection, I'm going to continue to be very conservative, especially considering what happened in 2016 with regard to downgrading his chances. But based upon the current polling, it has to be lower than it was last week. So I'm going to put it at 15 percent. And that's really uh, probably optimistic if you're a Trump fan. Uh, and, and I really think it would require him doing what I suggested with regard to forcing schools to be open, which I see no evidence so far that he's going to have the balls to do that or really anything else. I mean, there's some people even questioning whether he wants to be reelected at this point, but I'm going to put it officially at 15%. Until next time, whenever that might be, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod, and uh, have a good weekend. Uh, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.